Hi everybody, welcome to uh, my podcast this week. It's uh, I think it's episode twenty-four, um, and I've got a real treat for you this week. I was lucky enough to finally get um, an interview together, which we've been sort of planning for a while with a uh, young drummer called Richard Cass. Um, Rich Cass, who lives up in Scotland, originally from uh, the Highlands, Inverness, um, and. Rich contacted me ages ago because he'd, uh, he'd, I think he'd heard a podcast and stuff, and he'd also, uh, I think he'd met a um, a former student of mine as well. Um, and anyway, blah blah blah, you know, usual thing. He got in contact, and um, I uh, I'd heard of him before, and it was, uh, and I basically said to him. You know, it'd be great to interview you because you're such an interesting drummer, really individual, very, very doing doing something really unique and really challenging. I think in the world of um, drums and percussion and music, uh, he's an amazing musician, um, and sounds like he's got a, you know great work ethic in the way in which he. Um, learns music you know learns um learns these complex rhythmical structures and um the way in which he's able to play multi layers of rhythms um in a way which is just kind of beyond the uh this thing of just you know playing patterns it, there's, there's a lot more to it than that and he gets into chatting about about those kind of processes um, in, in the podcast. And we talk about loads of different stuff, we talk about some of his drum solo stuff that he's doing at the moment and, and that he's just done. I'll put a few clips in as well. Um, the first clip is um, it's this, I really love it, it's this Tigran beatbox thing that he did where he's basically, um, he's kind of replicated the beatbox thing that's going on on the kit. Um, and I think it's a great job of work. It's very, very funky. For us, that's the, the fundamental thing is it's just a very funky piece of music. You know what he's done with it. Great playing and uh, yeah, and you can find it. Uh, it's on YouTube anyway. But I, we, you know, I asked him to send me some stuff. Do you fancy including some bits and bobs? And he sent me that and uh, got a couple of it's a clip of um, something he's done with the Steve Wright clapping music um, and. Uh, Something uh, by the trio HLK, which uh, which he's been doing some uh, amazing work with over the last few years. Um, Richard Harold, who's a, uh, a piano player, and I think primary composer as well, and Ant Law, the guitarist, um, and it's a phenomenal trio. Um, if you haven't checked them out, uh, I really recommend listening to some of their stuff. It's like otherworldly music really uh, mesmerizing it's um it's highly it is highly complex music rhythmically but i don't let that put you off i think aesthetically it's very light on its feet it's very magical uh like i think otherworldly really you know you're, you're listening to stuff that's uh, i think i feel really is at the edge or the you know the, not the boundaries but it's part of this kind of real uh, development of uh of rhythmic um, kind of evolution and compositional evolution, but also you know, Rich talks a lot about the the kind of evolution of the drum kit, which he's uh, you know I think he's really wanting to explore um, 
that as a as a kind of um, as a lifelong thing. You know, I think he's got real aspirations of of bringing as opposed to that thing of like you know we have we've had this you know the, the culture of sort of the multi percussion setup thing has been around for a long long time a lot of a lot of pieces have been written for that but nobody's come at it from the other way from the drum kit side towards percussion and uh and we chatted a bit about that and they and obviously he's worked with uh dame evelyn glennie um with the with the trio and uh yeah we we're talking a bit about that kind of relationship as well obviously got so like another percussionist uh, amazing percussionist and about how she came to the project and um, and how, what that brought to the project what he's learned from that it's really a great chat it's quite a long one um so sit back and um you know pull up your favorite beverage or whatever and uh, yeah and enjoy it um so we'll start off now with uh this first uh, i'm going to put a clip in first and then the, the podcast kind of starts it was hard to know where to start with it really because we've been chatting for about half an hour <laughs> before i could find a natural beginning but uh, so it just kind of begins and we just start chatting um so yeah hope you enjoy it and uh yeah see you the other side
Brilliant. So, um, I mean, I'll, I've, got, I've got some things I've written down that are just, they're like questions. Feels all very formal. But it's more about remembering the things I wanted to talk to you about because, you know, what will happen is we'll just end up chatting about things and, <laughs> and I'll get after two hours, I'll go, oh, by the way, so <laughs> who, how, what, how did this all start? <laughs> this drumming, I'm, you know. This drumming I'm thing. easily led astray as well, so um, it's probably probably useful that you, you yeah, do likewise um, end up talking yeah. absolute rubbish. Yeah, and the, and the, actually the, the the tangent thing, I I'm quite a fan of that. I, I I listen to a lot of this, a lot of podcasts, you know, and uh, not a lot of music ones. I listen to a lot of a lot about cars and things, and I just like it when you know people get together and they have a conversation, and it's just that thing of listening to other people talking about stuff, you know, uh, that's not in your own head, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I. Uh... I listened to one of the podcasts where you chatted about you. Uh, you don't listen to music too much when you're driving because the sound quality is pretty not uh, anymore. Gash. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I'm kind of the same. I, I mostly listen to podcasts and audiobooks when, when moving around. Um, yeah. And I now I start to try and make time to, to listen to music. I like solely as a listening activity in my day, especially at the moment. I've got time to do it, but to, you know, phone away put an album on or whatever and just really try and listen um yeah, yeah. and it's kind of like and since i started doing that i find it quite hard to listen to music in the background um yeah it's just like and it drives me nuts when trying to eat if there's live music as well but that's another another thing completely yeah. so you see i've done it already <laughs> you were chatting about um listening to podcasts before we got to the questions i started talking about something entirely different yeah it's great no it's so true and it's weird that thing of um like when i was at college when i was like 18 and 19 well before that i was quite serious you know a bit too serious really but the one thing that i was actually really good at uh, being a bit too serious was i was actually really good at listening and doing nothing else i used to just sit with my eyes closed with the record player on you know and really listen yeah. Uh, and was probably a little bit out of it as well, shall we say, at the time, uh, <laughs> being that age, you know. But especially when I lived in London, the first kind of year in London was was a strange old time. But uh, <laughs> but it, I just think that like that. I think it's probably similar for both of us. In as you're kind of growing up and you're into music and you're into like it's got a kind of significance. Like because as drummers, I suppose the listening thing is such a part of what we do and uh, it's kind of contentious sometimes saying that because it makes the you know, the implication that certain other instruments don't listen quite as much as we do maybe um, <laughs> but um you know i talk about this a lot with with bass players particularly um about that just that thing of what you know what we're listening to and what we're kind of hearing in music and so yeah, it just became the car thing became a real drag because you got so much road noise and background noise, and it's like I can't really hear, and it's it, and it made it it just diluted it all so much, you know. So so then I, yeah, just got into listening to people, you know, just like speaking, and it's like oh, it's kind of a perfect way of dipping in and out of something. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's an amazing resource, isn't it? Um, amazing. I, I remember. You would you would see a, I don't know, a modern drummer magazine issue or something. And you'd be like, oh my god, they they've interviewed this person who I've been hearing on records, but I have no idea about because 
you know, this was maybe pre-internet or before there was that much there. So this was the only um, sort of inroad you'd have into finding a bit about where this person was coming from. Whereas now, yeah. for most people, you can find interviews for them uh, from them online and you can find podcasts and you can like really get into their world really quickly and sort of know quite a lot about them um just yeah. kind of like that and it's it's it's, it's amazing um just how how much um information there is it's tripping over stuff trying to find you know good podcasts and things sometimes because there's so many but it's taken i take it for granted most of the time that we now have access to all this stuff yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was listening to, went for a bit of an Eric Harland sort of phase a couple of years ago. Um, like listening to uh, obviously music that he played in, but also listening to him being interviewed. Oh man, have you heard that? Um, I'd hit that interview with him where he talks about when he used to be overweight as a kid and yeah. he'd go to one McDonald's on the way to school and yeah. another one on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> He's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's that is the one that comes to mind. These well these two, there's one he did on Drum Gab. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah, I haven't listened to that one. It's really good. It's a bit the thing that's great about that one is it's a little bit more drum focused because the guy um can't remember the guy on Drum Gab. The guy runs it. He's a drummer, you know, and and he's quite deep. He's you know quite a deep guy, and they get into a nice conversation about drums, you know. But he just talk about other things in his life, and then there's that one, and I can't remember which one of those ones it is where he talks about him and Chris Dave doing press ups, and then you know <laughs> that's, that's the I take that one. That's yeah. the idea. Yeah, it's, and he talks about his life, doesn't he? About where he's him and his wife bought the house and. That's yeah. the stuff that's really interesting. I just found all that. Just you just get to know a bit of a sense of the of the person, you know, um, which yeah. is great. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, I've had a lot of chats with people about um, how people's personalities come across in their playing, and and you know right, yeah. how intertwined the two things often are. And when I hear how playful and interactive Harland is. You get a, I I get a sense of that at least in, yeah. in my impression of him in these um in these podcasts that you can see how the two things relate that he's he's not in some ways he he sort of seems to not take anything too seriously and he's just like this like like ball of energy really fun but um but you know <laughs> that's kind of sort of doing him such a disservice to say that because he listens so intently and yeah yeah and just makes so much happen when he when he plays you know it's not like he's um somebody who loves the sound of his own voice when talking or playing either but um yeah, yeah it's just yeah. kind of funny you see i don't know what my point was really there just that the two things sort of connected a bit when i listen to him playing after listen to him chatting a bit yeah to I, I yeah me too it changed the way i felt well it, no so i think it reconfirmed the, something about well, you know you listen to somebody and you like something about the way they play you know something interesting or whatever it is and then you meet the person and you talk you know you get to know them or or you listen to them interviewed and when you go back to hearing them play again it, it either has changed or it's reconfirmed that thing, you know, it's affirmed it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was... Or you never even clocked that that was the thing about it that you liked, you know. And he has got this cheeky... He's, like, very intelligent, isn't he? He's, you know, and he's obviously, mathematically, he's very, um, like, 
it's really seems really uh, quite advanced understanding you know somehow I was going to talk to you about about the polyrhythmic thing but we'll get onto that kind of later but it, I definitely it, there's a sense that he really understands what all the subdivisions are linked to everything <laughs> you get that impression in the way he plays you know but yeah <laughs> It's, yeah, it's interesting that actually, because you know, in the interview I listened to him um, on, you know, he doesn't really chat. You know, there's no sense of him really being in entranced in that stuff in terms of the way he he talks about it. And you think, is it? I, I, my impression is that he just kind of gets it. He, you know, he probably hears that stuff, understands it, and moves on and processes it. And yeah. Have you seen that clip where he's he's playing brushes and talking and he starts to um, play what he's vocalising? So he starts to play his conversation on the brushes. No, I haven't seen that. Um, oh. I need to find it, but it's it, it's beautiful. It's incredible. Um, like, and 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 it really seems like it's not preconceived that he's chatting and he's just turning the whole thing into a beautiful kind of swing solo. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's a great interview. And there's there's all there's loads of different interviews with him. And some interviews are very drummy, some are very personal, and they're just kind of about random stuff, which that one is. He talks about and uh, and about yeah, some of it's about his studio and the drum gab one's good. They talk a bit about religion and and him being you know because he was a he was um, going to be like a preacher on it or he was ordained, wasn't he? And he he turned his back on religion and stuff. And they talk about he talks about why that happened. Um, wow. It's really interesting. I need to check that out. I'd be interested to hear him chat about the the sort of drummy side of stuff because I've never, never heard him talk about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I actually had a funny moment once when um I, I checked out quite a bit of uh, Damien Reed's playing on a few things. Oh and, yeah. Uh, I got the chance to meet him. I went to see um Steve Lemon's group Celebione. They played at a festival in Paris a couple of years ago and um when that record came out, it was really quite mind-blowing for me. It's, it still is, but mm. the the group don't really tour or play together very much because they're kind of based in different places. Yeah, um, yeah. And anyway, they came to Europe for this one gig, and so I thought I've got to, got to go and see this, so we booked tickets to go over there and um, got to chat to him a bit afterwards. Um, and uh, whenever I've sort of seen him play... He he always looks quite serious, but actually chatting to him he, again, he's like seems like really light hearted and quite fun, and right. giving me a lot of chat about about Bunahaban and and some some fun times in Edinburgh and stuff. And um, yeah, it's it's funny um, what what preconceptions that maybe I've I've drawn from from people by by their demeanor or whatever, and then what how that's changed my perception of. Of what they're doing when they're playing music, if I've if I've found out more about them, some yeah, way, yeah, yeah, bizarre. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. Yeah, and we're blessed, aren't we, in the world we live in, to be able to have the like you said before, the access to that information now is, is mind blowing. You know, uh, it's one of the reasons why the first episode I did of this was about that rabbit hole thing about, you know, when I was young, there was you got into I only had one or two albums on vinyl, you know, that I, that I was listening to and they, do, they were just, you know, that obsessive listening thing, which I think, I think musicians, 
alike anyway we, we get you know we do get obsessive about things don't we so but it was just there was kind of a limitation of the lack of other options anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um so it was kind of you know it's kind of a funny time we live in now trying to get people to focus on um on stuff you know which was kind of the, the beginning of what i was going to ask you about really because what i was really interested to ask you about was um because I, I don't know a lot about your background but i've listened to you play you know and it's like it's like what you're doing is amazing and i don't understand most of it and there's a real sound world that's really feels like it's developed you know there's a concept that feels like it's really developed and it's you know it's got it's it's in a process it's got i don't know where you are in it you might you know two thirds of the way through a third but it's, it's that feeling of of um of timeline you know of, we all have a timeline don't we we all kind of like i've got this thing i want to do this achieve this thing the sound world a style a, you know, a technical thing or i want to play with somebody or write this music and I was like really interested in where this came from for you, you know, where you are now, which obviously is you're still young and there's loads, <laughs> loads of <laughs> stuff left to do. But um, I'm looking I'm at the set not, behind you. Well, no, but you're, you're definitely younger than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it's just, yeah, like, and I'm sure anybody that's listening to this who knows you and, and, and some people that, may, you know, don't know you would be really interested once they've heard some of the music we'll talk about today that you've recorded um, will be really interested in who the person behind all this stuff is and where it kind of came from, you know, where you started and who inspired you. Um, I don't know if that's something you can elaborate on it easily. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think, yeah. So like, well, like, firstly, thanks um, for your for your kind words. I'm glad you, you find something in what I'm doing that you enjoy because... Um, as I said when I messaged you, I think you know, I think your playing's amazing and um that's how we well, that's how I got in touch with you, I think originally, was just to say that I'd been listening to the podcast and thought it was great and I kind of found out found out about your playing through um I think through Harry Pope actually originally, but um, Oh Harry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um we'll, we'll come back to that, but I guess like yeah, thanks. Um that's, but thank you. The I get. I started playing drums like just in my bedroom as a as a teenager. Um, I think I went to school. I went to high. Around about the time I was in high school, I remember my brother coming home. He because my brother sang, sings and plays guitar, and he's a bit older than me. Oh right. Um and uh, he he was sort of in a band in high school, and I remember they had the band practice at my at my house one day because my parents live slightly out of town, so it's ideal place to make noise great and then his, his, his mate uh, steve set up this drum kit and I'd, you know i'd never seen a drum kit before i'd never played music in my life before and i was like what is that <laughs> i was just like i remember like i remember i'm not sure why um but i was thinking about how i got started the other day and um i was i, I kind of forgot about this really that i the you knew I was going to ask scene. you, didn't you? <laughs> uh, maybe that, maybe that was it. Subliminally, you know. <laughs> what was? Uh, yeah, is it going to be that I, cliched? Is it going to be that obvious? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what it was. Was um, somebody's uh, was was writing something, um, and they asked me for some information about where mm. I'm coming from. Actually, I think that's what probably started it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I was thinking about this anyway. So, 
I remember being wowed by this thing, and then he hit it, and I I remember it. I want I wanted to play it, and he was quite a nice guy. So he was like, "Okay, I'll show you like how to play something, but don't play it when I'm you know when I'm not here." And I was like, "Yeah." And of course, the the minute they like like to break whatever, I was playing a drum kit and I was in trouble. And, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really liked it, and then I think. I got a few lessons from him. I didn't have a drum kit or anything. Mum and dad said, "Well, you know, if you go and have a few lessons with this guy and and you like it, um, and I, I I can't really remember what we did in the lessons, but I think he should, like showed me a few beats, and he was you know much much better drummer than I was, and so he, it, I got, used to go around to his house after school for a wee while and just have like get to play, and then eventually, mum and dad relented and bought me a a second hand kit one Christmas, and then mm. being the beautiful human beings they are they uh let me play my drums till nine o'clock at night every night and my bedroom was right above the uh the living room so my dad would just like whack the tv up and uh i'd just be battering away while they were watching question time or whatever <laughs> um brilliant and i just yeah i just enjoy i think i just enjoy playing um yeah I just liked hitting things playing along with records and i got into a few kind of like punk bands in high school and um, you know, it was it was something to do and uh I thought I thought at the time I was sort of like quite good at it and you know, I was absolutely terrible in reality, but um, you know, for like for a guy in, in second year in a small high school in the Highlands, I was probably mediocre and that was better than I've been at most things by that point. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, so that's how kind of how I got into it was just playing along with with like whatever was on MTV or Kerrang and things at the okay. time and I, I sort of going through high school I didn't I didn't do music as a subject or anything um I I think I I took it so I probably got started when I was about twelve or thirteen and then when I selected my standard grades which are like the equivalent of GCSEs um. I took music and then after like two days I dropped it and took home economics instead. <laughs> and, and then I, I just went down yeah. this cook and bake. Yeah. It's really important. <laughs> God, I absolutely loved it. It was great. Like yeah. Um but how so how did I end up studying music? And it was weird because I was quite good at I was quite good at sort of maths and chemistry and, and uh, economics and okay. business studies. So I had a like a scholarship to go to LSE and um I was sort of thinking about doing that just because I was quite good at it and oh, right. guidance teachers su- suggested and um I, I I really wonder how it turned out if if that had happened but um yeah yeah kind of because my brother went to to uni to do composition and I think ca- sort of partially because he did it yeah I I thought I'd do like a one year music college college course right and um so i did that and i i think in my head i thought i'll do that for a year and then i'll go and do this this degree or whatever and uh in economics and then i kind of liked it and i got an audition for the the local university uh napier university that did that sort of popular music course and um, where was that like that's in edinburgh in edinburgh Um, right okay Right, right. So I moved. I moved to. I didn't make that very clear. I I moved to Edinburgh to to do the, the sort of like, um, entry level music course sort of thing. Yeah, so I didn't have yeah. any qualifications or whatever. And then, uh, right. yeah, yeah. From there, I, yeah, I did this audition and 
I didn't have any qualifications, but I got an unconditional for whatever reason. Definitely, I think that they probably just were short of drummers, but um, for that reason, I decided to. Uh, I th- I'm not sure I totally finished the college course, um, but I can't really remember at the time. It was my first year living away from home, so yeah, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, got a, yeah. Got a, I didn't finish. Got I didn't a bit of slack. Mine. I didn't finish mine either, so. <laughs> 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 you know, but <laughs> but yeah, from there I went and did a music degree, and then um, ended up just doing enough gigs to, you know, like loads of things happened over the next wee while, but hmm. um, I, I kind of just sort of fell into doing enough to make a living from teaching and and drumming and and different things, and that mix has changed loads over the time, um, and what kind of music I've changed. I've play just changed a lot over that time too but um yeah that's yeah. kind of how it how i ended up playing in a nutshell yeah yeah so the so the kind of musical influence is the sort of where um where i well well what your well i'd say your for to me your area of specialism is for instance you know particularly thinking about the um, Playing in complex time signatures or playing polyrhythmically, that kind of approach, very like, like compositional improvisational. It's got that kind of thing that we all hope to have, you know, be able to be in the moment and play things that we want to listen to again. <laughs> you know, that kind of that kind of vibe, the hope, you know, that we can kind of invent anything. But it's but where that inspiration came from is it was it a sort of um, was it kind of polymath music or kind of heavy music um quite you know music that was rhythmically quite complex or how what was the transition um i it's it's hard to say exactly cause i think when i was at when i was at uni studying i i started to become aware of of sort of like all kinds of music which growing up in the highlands i'd i'd never really checked out or been aware of before so yeah until I studied, I probably was mostly listening to, like I was saying, that like kind of rock and rock music and things like that, and playing, playing all the stuff I heard from my friends. And then suddenly, when I went to music college, I started to discover like, you know, everything from Dave Weckl to Miles Davis to you know all the kind of one hundred and one jazz and fusion things, okay. and discovered, started to discover all these ridiculous musicians from all kinds of genres um yeah yeah and then when i when i got to when i got to uni um i was introduced like the drum teacher at napier that i had for a while would be would bring in all these transcriptions of of different players like dennis chambers or whatever and a lot of a lot of fusion drummers actually and who was that by the way uh so i had i had one until this point i was self-taught actually but i had one kind of main drum tutor at uni who's a chap called Bryden Stilly. Um Right. And uh and yeah, the he he one of the things that I got out of the lessons I think was just being exposed to a lot of different kinds of things. And I think mm. you know, maybe being exposed to things that I I couldn't really play that well at the time to be honest, and I think like probably would have benefited from spending more time on, on less. Um but I think I'd, that's possibly on me because I'd sort of got into a university course, haven't not really had any lessons before, you know. So, 
Um, I was probably just trying to play catch up. Yeah, um, kid in a sweet shop get, vibe. Yeah, yeah, and 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 get get through get through things. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I guess from there I just started playing lots of like kind of like experimentally fusiony music and. I remember I, there's a record shop I used to go to a lot um, near where I live called Hogshead Music, which closed a couple of years ago. But I would go in there and rifle through the jazz section and start checking out the personnel, you know, yeah, um, yeah. for each thing and, and and picking up records. And um, I, I guess like the first time I, I really got into like quite polyrhythmic stuff or things that I would associate with having some similarish vocabulary to things that I'm interested in now would have been towards the end of uni when I I, I started trying to transcribe the, the Vinnie Colaiuta tune, um, I'm Tweaked. Oh yeah. Do you know it's... Attack of the 20 pound pizza, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that yeah. it's got that, that, that kind of like sort of quarter note or eighth note kick snare groove which keeps moving around so it sounds yeah, like there's yeah. bars beats dropping but the whole time it's actually just moving against the the you know the, the quarter note um and yeah at the same time i was digging into the that gavin harrison book um rhythmic illusions which is like a, i think one of the best things I've, I've i've ever sort of worked out of because he like really kind of quantified most of the language um of of these rhythmic illusions, all these things that you'd be like, what the hell's going on there? Yeah. Um, you know, formulae, spacing, and mm. an amazing bit of work to not, not only be able to play all this stuff at such a high level, but to, to be able to break it down that well. I've, I think, you know, that's an incredible, incredible um, achievement. I agree, yeah. Um, I've got the DVD of that as well, which again, I mean, I think he's like, he's like the Thomas Lang thing. I don't want to get, you know, people have a big thing about Thomas Lang. He's, you know, they think he's a bit clinical and a bit whatever. But the thing I always say about Thomas Lang, that first DVD that he brought out, and I know a little bit about the background of that because I know somebody that, that taught, uh, had lessons with him and stuff, a guy I used to know quite well a few years ago. And uh, But the thing is, like, it's like how, like, how did anybody get that together to be able to make that DVD? It's like an encyclopedia mm. of every single possible technical sticking played with any limb, you know. That and it's yeah. all there on that little that little that little um, ten, table tennis bat kit thing he's got, and he he plays all this different thing. Now I'm going to play the paradiddle between you know the, the bass drum and the whatever and the, and he just plays it in that room with the black background and then he puts it on the kit, and it's like regardless of what, whether you like his playing or not, it's like come on everybody, you got to like. And Gavin Harrison's another person I think who people sometimes are a little bit, oh, it's a bit clinical. And it's like, come on, people, get real. This guy's like serious to get all that, the stuff you're talking about together and explain it and play it, you know. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I do get quite upset when people make those comments about those kind of players because I, I feel that most of the time it's, it's coming, you know, I, I I, I don't mean this uh, in a derogatory sense to anyone, but it, it mostly comes from insecurity, doesn't it? Absolutely. There are a few people who can do all the stuff that those people are doing who say, yeah, that's a bit clinical. <laughs> I think, um, like, whether or not you like it or not, um, people are, like, pushing boundaries um, with this, like, pretty new instrument. Yeah. And to me, 
I think like I I can't say that I listened to many records that Thomas Lang's been on. Um, no, but I've definitely checked out all those DVDs and been quite inspired. And I think that what's possible with coordination on the drum kit is like in the very very infantile stage. And I like my one of my core beliefs that I've I've sort of come to realize is that I think that the drum kit is possible of like operating on the same level as, as like an organ or something. It's just not there yet. And there haven't been the so many players doing that stuff, but there are all these people like, like him and Mark Miniman who are starting to show what is possible yeah. in a technical yeah. sense. And Bozio as well did it, didn't he? You know, yeah. the ostinatos um, with one hand and it's like, yeah. It's incredible. And, and, and taking pitch into it as well. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. Organized, pitches and um yeah so i think with those guys like i mean the other thing with gavin is he's got such an identifiable sound like yeah. he, the way he records <laughs> his drums the way he tuned it he's like real real artist and um yeah you know i again i it's i'm i take loads of inf- inspiration from his playing i think he's absolutely unbelievable and would, would bite his hand off for a lesson but I, I certainly at the same time don't think like i want to sound exactly exactly like that you no. know but no no like what um, I've I have encountered it as a as a player as much as anything else. Sometimes when mm. somebody said like, uh, you know, like you're not not going up and down the length of the country, like playing four four, cutting your teeth, like what's all this nonsense? Sounds like a like a a skeleton rattling around in a biscuit tin or whatever. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, but you know, um, there's there's kind of room for everyone, and and also. I yeah, I don't I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You've got to do your thing, haven't you? Because at the end of the day, you do. Like the world, the, we're here to do our own thing. Variety is the spice of life, and um, you know, I just think that yeah, people could be slightly more open-minded, maybe shall we say, sometimes to um, to let in people. I think maybe it's a little bit of a cultural English, you know kind of cultural thing you know it's like everyone's a bit you know if you do any kind of music that's a bit like left field suddenly you're all a bit fancy pants and a bit weird <laughs> you know and it's like and i you know i felt like half of my life has been lived like that and i don't play you know music that's um anywhere near as you know complex and composers the stuff that you've been writing with especially with the trio you know it's like amazing music kind of crosses all sorts of boundaries actually um i just feel like i've been flailing around exploring sort of you know quite simple concepts but still sounding really abstract <laughs> but well i don't know i think there's a couple of things there like like one simple doesn't mean easy and complex doesn't necessarily mean difficult um yeah, or or true. more difficult yeah, yeah. But the other thing is, I I sometimes feel the the opposite, like because whatever you do, there's there's the opportunity cost, um, fun economics term that I remembered there. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, most of the music I play it does take up quite a lot of my time at the moment, and mm. you know I, I I'm aware at points that if I wasn't doing that, what I'd love to be doing, and it would probably be playing simpler stuff, which I could play, you know, like in a, a slightly more social context in terms of like I'd love to have another lifetime where I I just spent time transcribing um straight ahead 
jazz from the forties to present day, for example, sure, and yeah. and you know trying to uh, trying to get that together, and then trying to play and and share that language with other people that are doing that. Um, and whilst I've done you know done a a bit of it, I'm not I've done a, a absolutely tiny amount compared to to most people who who play in that um that kind of that world and so i i find yeah i think it's whatever you do it's it's kind of hard because you you see what the other possibilities are going to do especially if you're doing it at a level where you're trying to give it some kind of depth yeah like and and i think also if you're doing it at my level where i'm not particularly uh like a, a fast learner or pick things up really quickly or just like hear it and can do it you know it mm. takes time to get things together and so um the eric Highlands of this world can probably process things really quickly but uh, for me that that's not gonna happen so i have to kind of like make some choices at some point and then you know try and do the doing the best that i can or whatever yeah yeah but yeah i mean i suppose on on it's just that thing of everybody has a um like a a like a lowest common denominator threshold of the level that they want to be at be heard at you yeah know, and play at and yeah. uh so i talk about a lot in teaching when people because i you know i spend time with people when they're at quite you know very lucky at quite pivotal points in their existence when they've moved they're moving from one sound world or style world to something quite different and it's normally quite a short space of time it's quite an intense thing and the thing that she's trying to remember during that process is about what that core level is, you know, about like how how do, how do I want to sound just on a core level? I present myself to the world, you know, and and mm-hmm. have have that kind of sense of of um, never letting myself down, you know, or playing where you're below a certain, you know, like threshold. And it's like hard when you when you're moving, when you're trying to develop something. You almost want to sort of give up and retreat from the world spend some yeah. yeah and then reappear again as something completely <laughs> yeah i get that i get yeah constantly it it's also gosh what was i going to say about that again um that yeah in some find the only way to to get through that stuff is to think of concerts and recordings being a snapshot of of where you're at yes and and, and that's kind of it like it's if as soon as you get better your standard kind of goes up anyway but um but it, otherwise you're just waiting for the the bit that slips below your acceptable threshold for the whole thing to be a failure <laughs> um, yeah yeah and and also um yeah which it is of course it's a dip. Well, yeah <laughs> well <laughs> depends who we're talking about if we're talking about moment playing i would i would disagree with that but um <laughs> It's definitely well. I don't agree uh, with what I've said either. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that thing of like the minimum, the minimum standard is is a big one. Um, and I sort of I miss when I was young enough and stupid enough sometimes to not care about that. Yeah, because that yeah. was probably in some sometimes when music was the most fun. I mean, it's not. It, that's not really true on a deeper level but no. um when you when you really don't care and you also don't know better you just like it's just blessed you just like like play music and, yeah. and feeling raw emotions and that's about all that's happening you yeah, know yeah, um yeah. but you know i think i observed a while ago that everybody that i really like playing their their worst 
five percent their worst performances within five percent of their their best if you see what i mean and trying to get trying to get those closer together yeah. is, well, for me it is a lifetime's work yeah yeah likewise yeah yeah and this is there's a couple of interesting conversations that i had with, with friends of mine that know some very very kind of you know high profile drummers quite well and have seen them say play away from the stage and have made observations saying they're definitely um they try stuff out off stage that they they don't they don't go there on stage that's interesting not not entirely but it's just that you know the kind of risk culture that we um you know because we we like music there's always on so many levels is so many like you know possibilities of risk aren't there as drummers you know the, the the thing of the instrument and hitting the instrument and it's incredible how we coordinate ourselves by just being able to make that velocity of sound on one single hit traveling through space and time from this point to that point you know you don't think about it of course because it's something that we do for muscle memory but it's like the whole, even that's a risk. But then there's the thing of what you do within the music and about risk taking, you know. We all make different kind of evaluations, don't we? You know, about that yeah. risk taking kind of thing, you know. So, do, do you ever have that thing on gigs if you feel you're not playing very well? Like, every, I, every gig, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, like, I've, um, I find sometimes I feel I'm not playing very well. I have this habit of trying to do more to make it happen sometimes. Yes. And that is like the worst possible thing that I've started to get better at now is to be like, I'm not playing that well. I've got to accept that tonight is just going to be what it is. And therefore I'm I'm not going to try stuff all the time yeah, um, yeah. That, that I haven't, that might not come off or that like I haven't played before or as new vocabulary um but it's it's tricky because whilst i aspire I, you know I'm, I'm basically um contradicting myself here but that's that is the the dilemma probably that i'm sure a lot of musicians face but it's the one i always face mm. which is i don't want to sound below that threshold but i do want to play in the moment and play responsibly yeah, yeah. and i mostly play with musicians who encourage um encourage being responsive and and letting things go to different places even if that does mean that it's not as nailed as it would be um mm. or as 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 clean as it would be as if um it didn't take risks or didn't try and respond differently each time yeah 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 it's um, interesting it, i mean the second thing question i'd they weren't in any particular order, but it kind of leads me about like artists or musicians that you've worked with and how they've sort of sculpted or inspired your approach to playing, like more recently, you know. Mm. Um, and is there kind of like a single most you know, influential moment in the recent past that's, that's kind of, I don't know, direct confirmed the direction that you're going in or, or changed the direction that you're going in? And he's maybe linked to that thing of, you know, of 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 being really uh, the material being really really well learned. I was listening to an interview with Ant about the trio. You know, and he was saying that you played for a long time before together before doing gigs and just having ah cool. You know, and and the thing of that you really developed 
this thing as as a team as a, as three people you know and and it's uh, and that's that's a really deep thing and it's something that people I don't see people doing enough of you know at all in the world uh, the last time I talked to anybody about that was this guy called Bobby of Age you know this guy's piano player he's, he's no. from um, he's American I think he lives in New York he came to college a few years ago with this guy called. Uh, with a really uh, Ben Monder and Miguel Zenon. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's an amazing band. And this guy called Jordan Peltman, this drummer. Do you know that guy? Um, I, I, I don't. I've checked out some of Ben's stuff. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But you've read this Jordan Peltman drummer. He's like a, like a guy like yourself. He plays lots of different styles and has worked with singer songwriters and all sorts of different stuff, you know. But this music. Was I? It was music that I didn't like. I just did not know what was going on. It was amazing music, but it was. And I chatted to him afterwards, and I just said, well, "What the hell were you playing?" You know, I don't. You know, and he said, "Yeah, man, this was like some of the hardest music I've ever learned." He said, "But we spent months in a cellar in New York. Me and Bobby and this bass player. It was. It wasn't the bass player who played in the band on the gig. It was uh, Michael Yanish, actually. He was." Um, doing the tour you know he was he got the band over so he was playing and michael learned all this music what an absolute you know how the hell did he learn this music and he learned it in no time what an amazing guy you know got so much respect for that yeah. guy he's, he's like a, such a like a powerhouse of you know it's, it's like absolutely relentless you know but it was this it reminded me of this thing Ant was saying about you know this spending this time playing this music together just and then sort of unleashing it on the world you know and uh, so it was kind of you know that that questions around who's inspired you in the recent sort of past and and work ethic in that way and kind of direction of stuff <laughs> yeah um well, i think well, i've got a great anecdote about ben monder but i'll, I'll put that on ice for a minute um okay. but uh um i guess I think working with the trio was is you know probably has had the biggest impact on my musicianship of anything that in in memory actually. Mm. And I'm not saying that because because you sort of brought it up after asking that question, but it is true that um, one the music is, was very challenging, so we spent a lot of time on it. Yeah. And two, because it's it's kind of for anyone who's not heard the music before. When you listen to a piece, probably half of what you're hearing is composed, and half of it is is improvised in terms of length of time. Yeah, um, yeah. The um, there's a lot of like very very hard composed stuff, and then very hard forms with lots of sort of constantly changing, it's um, constantly changing yeah. rhythms. And um, I didn't. Rich Richard's got a very interesting background. The, the pianist, who's a sort of like. Yeah principal composer for the band and he um he studied um classical composition and then i think he also he also studied um did a, did the jazz diploma or something at leeds for a year after he after he did his masters at yale i think he moved back to leeds and moved back to the uk and and did uh, jazz diploma right. for a when, while do you actually. know when that was um, no idea i, I, I guess 
So, oh, I do because it was his birthday two days ago. So he's thirty. <laughs> he's 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 thirty six now. Sorry, Rich. Um, young, yeah, young, yeah, yeah. So he um, it must have been like sort of pre two thousand thirteen, I think, because we started playing to get together in twenty fifteen. So uh, okay, I think probably talking about then. Yeah, roughly. yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, because he comes from that background, and uh, you know I'd never played kind of music like that before. Mm. There was a whole bunch of things. There was the social thing of playing with two people who, are, to me, are amazing musicians who sure. um, had had and play playing also playing with with drummers who who aspire to be you know have to do that. So I was listening a lot to what what they were saying and listening a lot to their music there was learning to play the music and then as sort of as we're doing that understanding the music that it's coming from by by rich telling me what music he's been influenced by mm. and you know my eyes and ears being open to to ligati and boulez as well as square pusher and venetian snares and and working with Ant and and starting to find out a bit more about um in Indian rhythm and I studied a bit of conical and things so oh, there was right. there was yeah, I was going to ask you about there that was, yeah, there was, yeah. I thought you might have done yeah. um, so there, there was a bit of that um, and then there was just because we were playing together a lot um, finding out how to how to play this music by experimenting a bit because there's not for some of it for me anyway there wasn't a direct point of reference like obviously everything um is inspired by something but um i didn't have any points of references to like what on earth to play over these forms for example yeah. which are are changing are rhythmically changing every every bar and are very prescriptive in some ways and it takes a long time to repeat and you know people are improvising over them how do i respond without making mistakes mm. or you know um so so there was a lot like it was a, a steep learning curve and um you know, when you, when you're in stuff, you don't really think about it that much, other than just trying to problem solve, get on with it, and 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 learn from the people you're around. But um, mm-hmm. that's when I started to learn a bit more about contemporary classical music and and stuff. Um, and that that's that sent me down a few rabbit holes. So Rich introduced me to Ligeti, for example, and I've had some attempts at trying to play Ligeti pieces on the drum kit, for example, arranging oh, them for drum okay. kit and. Um, um, so I I took a, it's a bit tangential, but the uh, Hungarian rock, which is a piece he wrote for harpsichord in in nine, and it's a sort of classic ligati, similar to the etudes in terms of these different groupings and ideas going over the nine. Oh um, right, so yeah, I yeah. sort of thought, well, what if you put the 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 left hand ostinato, which is the nine, on the on the feet, and then played the, the the melodic ideas with the hands yeah. and um, how's what's the nine is it a four and a five grouping or three two four or um it? yeah i i hear it as five and five, four. four right um yeah. and it, um and uh yeah and it's kind of like the the pitches change but the ostinato is constant throughout the piece actually right, right. um so uh i yeah, so you know, like that's that's an example of of how working with those musicians influence something else, which is my my own project that I've been doing for a while, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to interpret different bits of music on the drums. But mm. um, 
yeah, so the those musicians and then the musicians I got into and the music I got into have has probably had the biggest effect on me and um it's kind of weird because when I first met Rich and started playing with him, I was at a point where I was thinking whether or not I really wanted to keep playing music um, for for a living wow. or at all, really. Oh, right. um, and I think a lot of people probably go through that. But yeah. um, when I left uni, I um, I ended up like doing lots of different things, but I got a, a few like fairly big pop sessions at one point, and so sort of on the surface of things, I was doing quite well or being quite successful um being on tv a bit and playing to big crowds but uh after a while i realized that that was you know really not for me uh, one of the biggest things mm. was some of the people involved not the musicians the musicians were all were all great but the, the sort of managers and the people they don't they don't care about music yeah, and um yeah. and it takes takes 90 days to get paid from production companies and and it, you know I, i'd always since i'd gone to uni i'd really sort of discovered all this music and I was I was really interested in that and wanted to try and take more lessons and try and play mm. some of that music and so um so yeah around about that time that kind of stuff was happening and we started playing this music together and it just kind of like was a sort of meeting point of of some of the language that I'd started to discover a bit um all these like you know modulation rhythms and mm. superimposed rhythms and displaced rhythms and then there's these compositions that contained all of that and so in some ways they were like the perfect etudes for me to to try and get yeah. some stuff together. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really have anything together, but there was the opportunity to do that without any pressure at that point, other than like we were just playing through some of his pieces of music, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's funny because I had this questionnaire. I'll read it as I wrote it. I wrote it before and I was like, it's gonna sound a bit does it sound a bit pretentious or a bit convoluted? It was like about the writing approach of the the trio, you know. And how was it? Is the writing approach like an array? Because I know he talks. Uh, there's like a lineage thing, isn't there? With the the compositions come from other compositions, and there's all that stuff going on. The anthropology yeah. thing and blah blah blah. Um, but the uh, I was like thinking about like your role and like is it more of like an arrangement or a deconstruction thing? And then what's the approach? with the music to sort of facilitate your kind of spatial needs within that music, your voice, you know, and, and that thing of these, these, these sections of really complex composed music, which is absolutely like on the money, you know, you've got to be, you know, and then there's this kind of, these these feels like these, these sections where it's really still really massively on the money, but there's this kind of space to, <laughs> you know, yeah, I was just yeah. inter just interested well, what your approach to all that was. It's I find it really fascinating, you know, because I don't play any music that's really like that, and I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to play music that was like this. Don't get the opportunity to do it, you know, and the time to learn it. But, but it just fascinates me the di different how people deal with different space is really the question, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I think you could probably dissect it into two parts, which is okay. like there's a loose kind of modus operandi of if if we're working on a new piece what might happen yeah and then there's how we've actually evolved playing the music so um i remember on one of the podcasts actually you mentioned um there was a drummer and a bass player that played really well together and you chatted to the bass player at one point and you said oh they actually they they had chatted quite a lot about 
playing together. Steve Gilbert, um, Steve Williams, yeah, yeah. And, he, and yeah. Steve was telling me that he needed to talk to me about the fact that he didn't like the way I was playing. <laughs> wow, that was what it. That was what really? the conversation was about, Fuck. you know. Because I mean, the wow. background. Not to go off on a tangent, but the background of it. And Steve, what might be saying this? Because I think Steve's an amazing musician, and I was re- I really respect him, and I I definitely was a was a bit of a bullshitter on those gigs. Because what I did was I brought the fusion drummer to the gigs that didn't need the fusion drummer, you know. And what Steve was saying was, you need to bring the drummer that needs to be on the gig to the gig. Don't bring Dave Walsh yeah. the fusion drummer. And yeah, when I used to play with Steve Gilbert, we spent years refining that that argument essentially about what we brought to the music you know you know and th- and, yeah, and they yeah. reached a a long long time ago they reached a consensus which is why when i used to go listen to them play I'd be like why do these guys sound so good together it's not just about the fact that they've both got a great pocket there's something more going on there's something there's something yeah. social going on in that relationship you know so sorry yeah, that was the background of that it's interesting no. to clock that well, <laughs> Well, that is interesting, and it resonated with me when you were talking about it because we have definitely spent a lot of time playing together and and discussing stuff, and also having done a gig, being like, "What happened last night? Uh, I liked it when you did that. Oh, I didn't like it when you did that." Sometimes, yeah, yeah. The, you know, especially in the improv, and and with these forms because they're quite quite hard, mm. we've spent quite a lot of time working out how to how to play them musically really yeah. um because the sort of first stage of getting through the form is being able to count it and and rich's approach to harmony is also quite quite amazing there's often you know kind of two two harmonies which are unified yes. when the soloist plays one thing and he plays the other or whatever yeah, um, yeah. it's like your it's like so, your rhythmic layers though isn't it you've got these yeah you know yes i guess so yeah <laughs> not, not ex- but so, it reminds me of that sort of yeah. So, yeah, I guess um so yeah, we we just spent a lot of time um doing it and and reflecting on it and also what what plays into that is when if we're touring and we're traveling together, especially if we were in a van, we'll listen to music together and dissect it and talk about what we like and don't like yeah, about it. Yeah, um yeah. like and it's amazing how all that stuff starts to to come out in the playing and and how much you learn when someone's like plays you a piece of music and, and talks about, um, for example, the relationship between the two parts of, of a part of the Goldberg Variations, for example, yeah, or yeah. or if some or if somebody plays you a conical composition and you talk about how they use this grouping of fives, or, mm. um, you know, all that stuff. Um, another example of, of that kind of, like, collective development is a, a few years ago we... Um, we did three nights at Ronnie Scott's opening for Chris Potter with um, Dan Weiss on oh, drums. Dan, I was going to just um, mention Dan Weiss a second ago and you were talking about the conical com- improvisational cell thing. Uh, you know. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he, he's he's amazing. And um, I, I'm glad to... I think he's starting to get a bit more recognition for what he's doing because when, when we saw him in those gigs, that was the first time I'd heard him live and sort of started to really appreciate just how how deep what he's doing is but also what a great artist he yeah. is to hear the the basically the drum kit being played like a tabla um and to hear that vocabulary really you know like really coming out um 
and to hear him playing solos on the same tunes on different nights and to hear how how what different approaches he played and um that's you know that's a slightly tangential but one of the things that we did is every time we did did these gigs we would play our set and we would watch the band and then we'd chat about how great it was and what had happened in the improv and then we'd rehearse the next day and and that we you know be like why don't we really try and open this up and you know like and and there would be reference points from what we'd seen and so like that that was one of the best experiences for developing the music actually was like playing watching like world class yeah, musicians yeah. playing again and trying to like apply and you know and and doing that playing regularly listening together regularly it was a great experience yeah, yeah. so so part of part of it comes from that um and, and a practical approach for with the improv with the forms mm. how to approach space and stuff i guess one of the things when i was a bit younger that i tended to do was to to always play to mark things out so to always play the the groupings and the time signatures but actually everybody in the group really has to be really strong on this stuff to for it to work effectively so yeah. we're at a point where you don't have to play and to mark that stuff out but everyone has to internalize it and so yeah. um there's one form which i think we've we've got quite quite good at opening up on now um and one of my favorite gears is just to hit one beat in each bar even though the bar is different and let the piano maybe do a little bit more of outlining of things and and see what happens with say the guitar solo and then um and then respond as as appropriate but in order to do that then obviously the the time signatures and things like for me have to be internalized and i have to feel like i've got some gears and some different things i can do with them and tend to have a sort of whatever the time signatures are or the groupings um the the one i'm thinking of is it's like an eight bar form but every bar has got slightly different groupings so it goes like three three four three four three 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 four three four four three uh four three 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 two uh three three four three four three 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 and then it repeats so um the sort of first thing is to is to be able to to clap and sing those rhythms and then i always try and work out how i can use my existing vocabulary on them so i'd clap groups of two and groups of three across those until they resolve and work out how they move around oh, um, yeah okay and yeah. A, a little bit a little bit like um i've been learning a conical piece on the drum kit recently which has got a bar of 516 in, in the beat cycle and so i start to hear how the, the the person's moving a phrase every time this fight you hit the 516 you know it it moves like sort of back one in the bar as it were if you're if you're um playing a four and 16th note phrase or mm. so you start to realize whenever i hit if we're mainly playing in threes whenever i hit this group of four everything shifts shifts on one or shifts back one or um and so over a period of time start to get better at being able to to move things around and and still keep those groupings where they should be and then the the art comes of of working out how to how to play musical stuff where it's not just binary on or on or off you know it's not i'm hitting the groupings i'm playing twos across them but um you know we're coming up to this this is happening i'm gonna try and play this um oh 
that's not really locking, so I'm gonna gonna move away from that a little bit and see what what what's gonna work better yeah, or yeah, yeah. um and so that that's one of the the biggest approaches is I try to get a decent amount of vocab down, try to always internalize the forms and not feel the pressure to play loads particularly at the start of a form but to to outline as required if required but then to to play responsively and um i've been amazed at how much mm. i've been able to internalize things that i thought were difficult um and i think it's just because it is a bit of a language you know the more of it you do the, the easier it becomes yes yeah, um yeah. but but also as when you learn things once you get one thing together and you you actually know it's possible then the sort of self-belief to and to keep doing yeah. that and um as you get as you refine the process of learning so you get more efficient you you actually understand things are possible um and so that's one of the things that i've probably gained a bit of confidence in is playing this music is that i've understood that i'm capable of of things that i at one point would wouldn't have thought i was capable of if you see what i mean yeah um, yeah that's really interesting and that that the thing about the kind of faith of process isn't it you know because it's something that's really important that people feel like when they're trying to learn something new or change something in their playing there's always that kind of apprehensive thing of like am i making the right decision for a start why why am i getting mm -hmm. why am i getting involved in this thing at all is it just going to lead me down a, a like a you know an alleyway that's going nowhere and then you get something together and it's like oh and then he's trying to keep the momentum you know so it, it was sort of i mean i've got another part to that question but i sort of feel like i wanted to ask you about the momentum thing about how you're keeping so you're talking about learning the conical piece at the moment are you kind of are you heading some of the, i think some of the stuff you posted recently you seem to be working on some quite complicated rhythmic grouping things and stuff and uh, I was really interested and is that where your head is at the moment are you kind of uh what's what's kind of around the corner it feels like the last thing I should be asking you but it feels like I've already kind of gone there which is definitely not the last thing I want to ask you <laughs> um well I yeah what's I get in a general sense my head at the moment is I've started to with encouragement from other people I've started to think that um, I'm quite interested in trying to develop the drum set to, um, or develop my approach to the drum set to incorporate pitch a little bit within whilst whilst playing the drums and to to try and maybe approach using coordination so that I can outline a beat whilst potentially also comping with with dyads or something. Or I'm really interested in the possibilities yeah. of. Of thinking of the drum set as like an extended percussion instrument, and so I'm spending a bit of time trying to learn a bit of tune percussion, and I've started to integrate that into some of the trio playing. Um, um, yeah, sort of making myself have a have a have an outlet for it, and therefore having to do some work on it. Yeah. Um, so I kind of I've got this this project that I've. I've been doing for ages, which was directly inspired by Diane Weiss, actually called Drum Interpretations, where I take bits of music mm -hmm. that were not arranged for, or sorry, were not composed for or um, on the drum kit and then working out how to play them on the yeah. drums. And each one I'm trying to um, 
treat differently. So at the moment, I'm just trying to finish that because each one takes me a little while. I want to do eight and then like make a little recording of all of them and then release the scores for them. And that's kind of done. Um, and each one I pick, I'm trying to learn specific things from. So the one I'm learning at the moment is a, is a conical piece. And I've been thinking quite hard about how to apply the syllables to the drum yeah. kit. And I've been using, like thinking about how to use the coordination so that I can play the the tala the, like the way the pattern with the with the feet and, and play the the syllables with the hands and and create an interesting bit of music on the drum kit so my my head's at the moment is is trying to learn a bunch of new music for the trio which i mean we were supposed to be doing some touring still but you know that's probably off the yeah. cards for the rest yeah, of the sure, year yeah, but um yeah. so it's trying to do that I'm trying to finish my drum interpretations I want to start writing music which incorporates the ideas that I've got about encompassing pitch and um, expe- exploring what, what music can be created with um, with four-way coordination on the drum kit in a way which is not not binary, so it's not all composed and it's not all improvised. Um, I think that's, that's one of the things that I'd like to see is, or I'd like to hear on the instrument more is, if you're playing over an ostinato or a pattern or something, mm. um, it not being either a composed thing or a static thing, but you know where where else that could go, and I think it's exciting. Um, some of the possibilities, um, and yeah, just generally, I'm trying to to trying to learn a bit more about harmony and and write music and and learn more about other types of music which I want to permeate my playing in in the setting of say the trio, so. Mm very interested in in some up tempo up tempo bebop and things at the moment and thinking if i could get some of this together i could work out how to use that vocabulary in this in the setting that i'm playing music in um so yeah i mean i've just listed about a million things but the two that i'm thinking about a lot at the moment are um are doing the drum interpretations thing and exploring pitch a bit yeah yeah it's really interesting I wanted to there was a just um just sort of back to the last question because um, it was just asking because you were you'd obviously did this project with the trio with um, Dame Evelyn Glennie who's been around you know a long time oh yeah, yeah. and I was interested in how the trio because um, you worked with um, oh it's gone out of my brain the composer you worked with a composer as well uh, didn't you um, someone who um, Yes. Steve Lehman was it? Yeah, Lehman. Steve Lehman. Yeah, but um, that's a sort of different thing, isn't it? Because that's someone writing, whereas she's physically playing with you as well within the and um, what the challenges were bringing somebody in, <laughs> sort of bringing somebody phys- physically wow. in, yeah. you know, to the ensemble as opposed to musically in, with Richard not doing the writing yeah. or the arrangement. You know, I don't know how quite how you compose the music, but having an external composer come in and. Uh, yeah, well, it's um, we're still doing stuff with her, or you know, I thought, hopefully, yeah, I thought um, you were. I thought it was still an ongoing but, sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've been doing it for about two years now, um, and I think, well, initially when she came in, it was to play on the album, to play on three tracks, and then from there, um, when we were recording, she said, "Oh, it'd be interesting to sort of play it, um, play the music." live and yeah. so sort of contacted some promoters and obviously 
um, they're definitely interested in having having someone like Evelyn come into play, and so it's, it's open doors for us to be to be you know touring with her, which is amazing. Um, and I think she you know by she she said before she's found the the music challenging, and I think one of the things that she said uh, was that initially she wasn't she didn't know how to connect to it because normally she feels there's like an emotion with music and there's just there were so many changing bars and things that she wasn't sure what what the emotion was behind it but when we sort of played the music oh, together she sort of under she says mm -hmm. i think hopefully i'm not paraphrasing too much but she sort of understood the music and, and what it was communicating and what we were doing and that it wasn't a a sort of academic exercise and that's something I'm you know really keen to try and avoid with all my music like I'm not somebody that like um gets really excited by the fact that something's got a big number under it or or whatever because you know yeah, yeah. anyone who's done any of these things understands that these are just ways of of describing groups of yeah, things feel. or whatever we're um, describing feeling yeah. isn't it really <laughs> Abs yeah absolutely and so you know like whilst i'm in i'm really interested in yeah, rhythm yeah, yeah, yeah. and um yeah and you know the the five thousand years history of, of conical for example you know like that's not that i am anywhere anywhere with that really other than i'm interested in it and trying to learn from it but that's just one one amazing cultural thing which has um developed amazing um rhythmic depth and there's yeah, you know there's yeah. there's loads of others yeah. um but uh so yeah I, I i don't think any of us are really interested in, in playing music which is hard for the sake of it being hard but um um so i think to come back on on point i think she initially found it challenging and but now enjoys playing and playing the music and mostly rich composes for her so that um whilst we're kind of like collaborating and we do change stuff and have conversations about things and we'll rehearse and change parts it's it's mostly like coming from from rich at least in the first first instance um and i think he sometimes has a challenge if we've got a piece which has already already been composed working out how to make the harmony work with another yeah, instrument yeah. um so we, we we played a couple of new tunes on the last it feels it feels funny calling them tunes, but uh, <laughs> we played we played a couple of new compositions on the last tour, and um, for one of them, I know that uh, we call it the vortex. There's this really really tricky um, coda which I'll send you, which was like the bane of my life because it changed the way it was voiced like two weeks before we went away, and I almost had a meltdown because I was like, this is, <laughs> this is this is so much work, and I've got like I've got another like two hours worth of music which is also loads of work to get in but um the uh i think rich had to re rework rework the voices and it took him ages yeah yeah <laughs> i'll check with the guys actually um and if they're happy I'll, I'll send you the clip we got a nice um we got a nice clip of it on the tour we're just putting some video together from the tour at the moment like going through it and yeah um I but, can in, yeah, I could insert uh, an God. audio clip into this easily, you know, really, really easily. Um, so it'd be great to have, yeah, to have a little bit of something to play if, if that's allowed, you know. So yeah, sure, I'm, I'm sure. I think they'll be fine with it. I'll just check on them.
Yeah, the uh, so just that that bit actually the vortex. I think it took Rich ages to to work out to find a way through which worked both in terms of the harmony and then once we played it, um, making sure that the balance, the internal dynamics of of the group worked because um, the ideas are quite complex mm. and there's there's several pulses going on and so it's making sure that the right pulse is the dominant one and the other one is is the sort of texture um and the uh it was was great it was a great etude actually because the drums are kind of playing kind of playing all all the pulses in a way that that unifies the the other three instruments right and um really satisfying when it's together and you're like you're hitting your snare drum and as you hit it the vibraphone sounds like it's being triggered and you hit the bass drum and the you hear the low note of the guitar oh, wow. and the cymbals like the piano so when that's like synced up it sounds great and when <laughs> if, it, if it doesn't it's like Ugh. yeah 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 that's amazing yeah but it's, but it's i mean it's really you know it's interesting what you say about her the way she connects the music you know um, there's a, there's, you know, an emotional has to be an emotional thing, doesn't it? And um, yeah, she must be. It must have been a great yeah. moment for her when she when she uh, understood and realised how exciting your music is. You know that moment of like, oh, this like this when it's together and it's happening. This is just that's what it's about. This of like this mesmerising thing that's, you know, you just you listen to it as a. You know, it was like that. It was like the Bobby of A thing I was talking about before. That's what I gave up after three minutes of listening to this music, trying to work out what the hell this guy Jordan Pelton was trying to do on the drums, like rhythmically. I was like, no, let's just yeah. like let's just listen to this for what it is, because I, I have no yeah. idea what this guy's doing. He showed me some of the scores, and I would never have been able to work it out. It was highly complex, you know. But it was it was rhythmical yeah. structures that had a lot of openness on them but they, but they all adhered at points to just marking we're here now we're free again we're here you know yeah sorry anyway yeah and no no i think that that's a great point that you made about how you choose to listen to that kind of music because yeah. for me if i think i understand what's going on then i will try and follow it but if not i i tend to if i was listening to the music to 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 hear what the overall effect is and not not be trying to problem solve numbers like all the effect of a rhythm and a cross rhythm to me is is like tension and release it's um and just like navigating different groupings of rhythms you could draw parallels to navigating different groupings of chords mm. once you understand the different groupings and you're trying to like draw some kind of narrative through them even when comping or or when soloing um to the, to the listener they they don't have to be hearing the the a status um in fact i think it's quite nice when when you're hearing these things happen and then and then you hear a resolution and then a um and then things sort of going against each other and i think that's that's kind of the point of it is is sometimes forced interaction and and trying to develop freedom and interplay mm. within it um and i think that's that's a it's a beautiful thing to me um when i listen to that kind of music yeah. but um yeah, with Evelyn, it's I think uh, she's had a really positive effect on the music in terms of um, su- suggesting things and just the way she plays. Because she's, I mean, she's such an amazing sure. musician, yeah, but yeah, amazing, yeah. she plays so much, um, so much expression in whatever phrase she mm. plays that you can't help but learn from that. Like 
when you hear how she plays a bunch of notes, you suddenly like, fuck, like I'm I'm not thinking about ten percent of that when I'm yeah, playing yeah, this phrase. Yeah. You know, like I'm you know I'm I'm thinking on this level, and and she's thinking again about the emotion about what what that what phrase says and how to bring that out. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been amazing learning curve in that sense. And also, she's been quite probably quite instrumental in, in the way I'm thinking about the drums. Like I remember a while ago we were chatting away and she, she said that um, she thinks it's really interesting the, the possibilities of rhythmic counterpoint on the drum kit and, and some of the things that I was, I was doing. And um, I think in a, in a roundabout way, she was suggesting that I should, you know, keep exploring that or suggesting that there were, there were possibilities there that she thought were quite interesting. But that, that did make me think like, yeah, I'm going to try and do a bit more of this. And I think, Around about that time, I did did an arrangement of clapping music oh, for the drum mega, kit, yeah. where I tried to tried tried to bring in um, some rhythmic counterpoint with the feet, where the theme, there was the two themes were playing, but then another I tried to compose a third theme which came in at slower tempos, like like a fugue or something, you know, um, and and that I guess right. I still got a sort of a bee in my bonnet about about trying to trying to think about the drum kit in that way, um, you know, like the. There are so many possibilities on the drum kit, and I think the the linear thing is very big at yes, the moment. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, yeah. And 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 it's and it's 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 endless, and I I love it. Um, and I I love listening to it and trying to learn some of the stuff. Mm. But um, I think I'm trying to make the decision at the moment to not to not think about that and to think about the in that four way coordination book where they talk about harmonic yeah. coordination. Got, you know, okay. melodic and yeah, harmonic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I'm quite interested in the possibilities of harmonic coordination in the drum kit at the moment. I'm trying to get away from it sounding like exercises and thinking about a compositional approach to 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 playing with with the possibilities of these different limbs and voicings and um yeah, it's kind of I think one of the reasons I've continued to pursue this is because people who I admire musically have said that they found it find it interesting. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of like give it, giving me confidence to be like, oh, okay, I like maybe I should think about this stuff that I'm interested in, and 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 people seem to think has some merit. Definitely, in it, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the questions I wrote here was, um, I'll, I'll just read as I've written down: thoughts on development of rhythm and acceptance in a wider community. Do you think our culture will embrace mm. the odd time signature polyrhythmic approach like other cultures have? Because, like, you know. You know, you're like really, you know, of this island, your culture and where you're from and everything. It's from a very, very old lineage, you know, the, the kind of the music of, of where your family's from. And but yet, you know, the stuff that you're involved in now and, and, the, and the way you think about drums as you're describing, you know, you, you're like it's like really steeped in that history, isn't it? Because it's so polyrhythmic, all that history. We forget that folk music you know, the old folk music. And I was reminded by somebody that I worked with, with they were talking about really, you know, folk music from hundreds of years ago was in 11 and other, that uh, was in this country, you know, it was not stuff from, you know, uh, Arabic culture or from Indian culture or from Eastern European it was actually in our culture, it was in 11 and was in these. And we sort of seem to have lost a bit of that. Everything's gone kind of more straight up and down, hasn't it? 
or to the sort of to the dot yeah. to the dotted kind of culture, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was just wondering what your you know where do you feel like a kind of trailblazer for this bringing almost back this polyrhythmic culture, you know, back to back to, back to the uh, people. <laughs> I de- I definitely don't think I'm a I'm a trailblazer, but um, I think that uh, <laughs> I I think it's a new. Well, everyone keeps saying it's a new world at the moment, but I think that like one, the drum kit's really yes. young. Two, the internet is really sure. really young, yeah, yeah. and three, that there seems to be more and more musicians studying music than ever before. Like yeah. the the level of, of young musicians seems to oh, be doing that. That's you know, yeah, amazing yeah. and inspiring. Yeah. And I I think that, like, now you can go on the internet and check out Conoco and stuff. I'm not sure how I'd have ever found out about that if the internet hadn't have come around live, growing up in the islands, you sure. know, unless somebody came to town and, and did a performance. And I would imagine if I went to see one performance, I would understand so little about it and it would be gone that I would glean nothing from it. Whereas you can watch a YouTube video with a transcription yeah. now with the syllables, with the, with the time signatures and, uh, you know, and learn loads. So I think that this interesting sort of rhythmic language is, is happening more and more. Um, particularly, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's been like, there's been loads of polyrhythmic stuff in jazz for, for a long, long time and, and associated genres. And obviously in, in, classical and contemporary yeah. classical music there's there's a lot of that stuff too and you know i guess like the, the classic example is the right of the right of spring where when that was first aired there were riots or whatever and now that that's probably seemed to be a fairly conservative piece of music um by s- s- some standards sure at least. yeah 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 so well, you take joe's garage I th- I think like that... frank zappa you know that was cool you know popular culture at that time but considered quite left field but yeah, if you listen to it, you know, vinyl yeah. album and the twenty one and all that's in the in the nineteen sixteen and everything. But it's all kind of just sounds like music, doesn't it? You know, because of the way Frank wrote, you yeah. know. And <laughs> I know it's it's funny that because you know sometimes people say there's actually a, a Zappa quote which I'll I think was something along the lines of. Back in the day, there was like an old dude that that would run would be the A and R guy for the record label, and he'd be like, "Yeah, sure, let's take a punt on this." Nowadays, it's young people who want to set trends who, who are are, are scared of of bringing in experimental things or whatever. Um, that was a, a massive paraphrase, but I've I've seen the quote a few yeah, times, yeah. and I think actually there's like a like music in, amongst like amongst musicians is as open as as it's ever been um from my experiences of meeting people from all different genres um and the internet's making things cross-pollinate more than than ever i think and i think in like a hundred years time um it i think that a lot of polyrhythmic stuff um will will progress and will appear in different things um as it is now so i think it will grow um and i think there will always be kind of room for all kinds of all kinds of music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and ultimately, I think for me, I'm quite lucky because I'm actually able to play this music to kind of big audiences. Yes. Um, with 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 Evelyn and stuff and listening audiences, um, both at contemporary classical or sorry, classical, um, 
venues and festivals and and some jazz ones yeah. and um so I'm, like i feel like it's it's sort of living proof that there there's an audience for it because people come to the concerts and and buy records and and we seems to sell tickets um but i think um the ultimate reward with with all music really is is achievement of achievement of sound and 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 making making yeah. stuff you know like for me anyway I, li- I like making things i think i've I've worked that out that that's why i like being part of a project and having input is that i like the act of uh the act of creation for for one yeah, of the better yeah, words so yeah. um you know be that like making something out of wood or mm. or like making a cake in home economics or making an album that's that's what i tend to get out of music and so i definitely want there to be an audience for it because without there being an audience it, it, it does seem a little a little pointless and a little academic yeah. but how big the audience is is not um, a massive goal yeah. um or it's not something that concerns me as much as trying to make something which you which you believe is is the best best you can make and which conveys something which at least one person or more enjoys <laughs> yeah 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 outside of the the inner sanctum of the yeah 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 um i wanted the the other thing I wanted to ask you about was because um, I always notice this when I see you know playing on videos and stuff you know is the gear and symbols and the kind of aesthetic the aesthetics you know um, oh about, yeah you know, your setup and about how that's developed you know it's just really interesting and and what you're adding to that because obviously you've given you know alluded to some are those crotales you've got up there behind you. Oh, the crotales, yeah. So, yeah, this is, I've got like, a, I'm quite lucky, I've got like a little box room in my flat, so yeah. um, I've sort of turned it into a, a like little workspace. I'm lucky I've got a studio space on the other side of the time, which if I'm making a lot of noise is where I'll go. Yeah. But, um, I've, um, yeah, so the, the crotales were the things that I've most recently um sort of added into the kit and so that comes back to wanting to start to work with pitch yeah. so we had a kind of new piece with the trio um which starts out with um these uh this these set of pitches on the piano and um i uh sort of thought it'd be good to to mirror the pitches um at sort of set set spacing behind the piano so they're not not in unison um and it, it sort of came together quite nicely, and that was the first first time I started to use tuned percussion on the gig. So I'm sort of moving. Right. Um, it's uh, it's the piece kind of starts off just with the croats, yeah. and then the drum kit starts punctuating certain phrases with the guitar, and then it goes back to the croats, sort of quiet, loud, and slowly there are less pitches and more drum kit until the drum kit is the only thing playing, and the pitches disappear for for a while. But um, yeah, so that's that's something that I've started to to work on, and I've had huge experiments with different kits. So for the drum interpretations thing, that's an example of like trying to make something. So I I think about the piece and what what drums and bits of percussion to put together to best convey that that composition on the drum kit. Right, and so okay. I'll put things together and pl- play them and try them, and if that doesn't work, I'll try something else. So uh, and then I'll start arranging it or whatever um and so for each piece i think about not just what the what sounds i want but kind of what it looks like aesthetically if i'm making a video for it 
because I kind of want to make something which you know if I wasn't involved with that I, I would enjoy so I don't want it to be like really really high production fancy video but um for example with this with the Steve Reich thing the two hands start in sync and sync and move out and so I wanted a drum kit that was symmetrical with the hands and I want to shoot the video with okay, the head yeah, yeah. so that you could see that like like um like synchronized swimmers yeah. or something yeah, um yeah. and so that you could yeah. You know the the vi- the visual repetition of that performance um, for me is is nice and like when I listen to it, I can hear the layers. But when the rhythmic counterpoint mm. comes in at the other tempo, um, but that's not what um, that's like when you listen to the whole thing, it, you can kind of just get lost in it. To me, it like it has a similar effect if I listen to some some Ghanaian yeah. drumming or yeah, something, yeah. where there's like there's something hypnotic about it, and and so I want visually that to be the case.
So sometimes with, with that project, the, the drum kit's totally different. Like the Legacy one was massive because I was trying to have like a, a piano and so I had lots of different pitches right. and, and had to meet the demands of that. Whereas like the, the beatboxing one was very minimalist and the, the Buddy Rich one was quite minimalist. Um, and this one's going to be quite minimalist actually. But for the, the trio stuff, um, because the pieces are kind of quite in depth and sometimes um, they 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 address a certain style within the piece. So, for example, there's one piece which um, has a lot of elements, draws on a lot of metal. There's another piece which draws on a lot of um, uh, Afro-Cuban rhythms. There's another piece which draws on, um, like, I don't know, that, that sounds a bit more like a, a, a ballad, a, a, a traditional swing ballad um, that's speeding up and slowing down. Um, and so... With each one of those, then certain things will creep into the kit, or like so. There's like a, a left foot clave that um, is for the Afro-Cuban one, because the quite a big part of the piece is referencing the clave rhythm. Um, sometimes it it appears at different tempos at the same time, or 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 it moves, or so. Um, we've got a few few pedals and things like that, um, and I guess that one thing that I often do in the drum kit is is unify other parts so if the piano is playing one thing and the guitar is playing the other trying to find a way to potentially orchestrate or reference yeah. both rhythms to to be the, the kind of glue yeah, yeah. and it, it works quite effectively sometimes sometimes it can be overbearing and it's like no i just need to play play texturally or to to play one part or to not play either part or to not play <laughs> but um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so the the crotales have been quite a big part of the new setup and I guess, other than that, it's like I generally tend to think of, of just playing a sort of five-piece kit with a ride cymbal and a, a sort of sort of crash ride cymbal and a set of hi hats. But then there's all these other little things that sometimes I'll chuck up, like a a, a little stack, because there's one one tune where that that sort of false hand clap sounds quite good, and there's a lot of improvisation. So in the improv, it can be fun to be like, oh, that color might work, and if it's like a big stage and a big concert mm. nobody like if i was to take that to like a a club gig the the rig that i played with the <laughs> with the trio yeah. and evelyn people people might be like yeah get lost mate but um but compared compared to evelyn who's got like a, a marimba uh a vibraphone her own her own drum kit yeah. uh two timpani a gong and you know like nobody notices the lo and behold nobody notices that i've got an extra floor tom and and yeah. a couple of other little bits yeah, and bobs yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like simple sound things like that quite specific to you you got because uh, is there like a specific sort of sound world you like do you like a dry uh, rise like more precise or yeah i tend to like um i tend to like kind of like what most most I think most jazz drummers would like. I tend to like cymbals which are, are quite light. I like cymbals which you can ride on and yeah, crash, yeah, yeah. which are not like deafening and which um on which have like a nice palette of textures which work well, um, because I guess I see the music as being sort of acoustic yeah. kind of chamber music. And so um I'm I'm lucky that I like I have a an endorsement with Sabian and so Oh of course, yeah. When yeah. when that yeah. When that happened, um, I kind of like got the sort, of got to start to pick quite a bunch of stuff, yeah. and they just send me things, and 
and that's been really good. Um, I was mostly playing them before, but um, I tend to like yeah. I think ride so I guess everyone is ride symbols and hi hats totally. are two things that I kind of worry yeah, about yeah. a lot. And I like like hi hats, which um, you can um, on the top hat you can wash out on. You know, if they're too heavy, then you can't like open them up when things like when you want um longer tones or whatever but the i find that the um the thing i'm always fighting is you want a nice light set of hi-hats but you also want to be able yeah. to hear the chick especially if you're doing the four-way coordination stuff yeah. and i before i went on the last tour i got um sabian sent me a new new set of hats a a, a slightly lighter version than the ones I already had, and I was like, "These are killing!" And on the second gig, I was like, "Why didn't I bring my other hats before I like took them on like a two week tour?" Because the the chick was just not quite loud enough, and because we were flying a lot, I didn't bring my left foot clave pedal. Right, um, and I actually found a way. I found a way around it, um, which is to you know put a few things on on the hi hat and actually some some jingly stuff, and that worked really well. But um, but that for that, yeah, I t- always trying to find like the um, the the best, the ultimate hi hat. Yeah. <laughs> for the ride yeah, symbol, too, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, I just like stuff which is dry, which you can kind of crash yeah, on, yeah. and which uh, doesn't like ring on for ages. Yeah. Um, I think when it, yeah, I love. I think ultimately, I'm I'm influenced more by jazz drummers and than than any other genre um and i think that purely in my opinion most of the the biggest um developments of the instrument have come from jazz not exclusively um i think you know in in all kind of genres stuff has happened but if you think like what the drum kit would be like without jazz drummers well it wouldn't be there anyway but if you were to remove all the advances yeah. of the jazz drummers from the instrument, yeah, yeah. like long before you had metal, yeah. um, there there were blast beats, for example. Um, you imagine imagine what the drum kit would sound like without Elvin or Tony or or Dan Weiss or Ari Honig yeah, yeah. or um, or yeah. Jack Dijonet or you know each one of it's these people's done yeah. things for the instrument. Yeah. yeah. Well, Christ. Yeah, yeah. So um, and I think as well in the in like the, the the jazz thing is with learning because a lot you know a lot of what I do now is ed- is educating and teaching and you know and I'm very lucky because I get to teach people that are very um, serious you know you mentioned Harry at the beginning of the you know we first started chatting Mr Pope you know and I still talk to him and you know guys like him is very very funny hilarious guy you know but very serious about it as well you know and yeah. very talented as well <laughs> so you get these layers yeah. of really you know for me it's like it's mega because you know all those things lead to you know you've got to have a good sense of humor you've got to be able to have a laugh with who you're teaching you can't it can't be dry and stare you just got to be able to be humans you know and humor is really important to me <laughs> Gotta be able, you know, have a laugh yeah. at that stuff, but also be serious about it and be dedicated, be dedicated, and know when to be, when not to be, you know. But the, but the thing I've noticed in in teaching is there's this weird gravitational thing, weird towards this kind of, you know, jazz education or jazz study on the drum kit, 
Um, and people get the wrong idea about it. They think it's oh, you know, if you play jazz, then you're 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 doing it. That's what they used to say to me when I was when I was young. You know, you got to study jazz and then you learn proper drums. You know, which is just nonsense. But I think what what what's happened in the history of the evolution of the instrument, which is very young, as you were saying, you know, is that a lot of people that are quite serious about teaching have, have come through a kind of a, a, a jazz approach to learning the drums, but they don't play jazz music. You know, half the music I play isn't mm. jazz. You know, it, I, I play rock music and all kinds of other music and groove music and, you know, but I do play swing as well. And, and so the ed, on the educational side of things, I think it's just that a lot of educators have just ended up sharing that knowledge. So it ends up having that jazzy <laughs> kind of lineage to it, you know, or, or flavor, if you like. And, and just that thing, like you've talked about, that, like studying coordination. Like I, I, I truly believe that coordination, and this is through, like I had a lesson with John Riley a few years ago and I had this thing about bass drum technique. I've told this story on the podcast before and it's, I'm sort of repeating myself a bit, but I went to him because I wanted to sort my bass drum technique out, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I had this lesson, uh, amongst other things. And it was like a devastating experience in a very positive way. He said to me, you don't have any problem with your bass drum technique. Your problems are all coordinational. You know, if you can sort out these coordinational issues in your playing, all the technique will take care of itself, you know. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to have technique, and that's nonsense. But the biggest barrier for me is technique. Uh, sorry, is coordination to technique and to to be basically be able to you know to be able to be creative and express ideas, you know. And so I think that jazz way of studying jazz drums from the get go, you're it's a coordinational task, isn't there? You know, you do your left hand comping against right symbol time. You learn to feather the bass drum. You learn to play the hi hats on different beats of the triplet. You learn to play the bass drum on different beats of the triplet. And that just that kind of way at the beginning of studying something sets you up into this kind of like, that's kind of the job of work. He's always coordination, coordination, you know. I don't know if that's been your, if that's, you know, anything of that is kind of resonating with you or means anything at all really it's just a lot of gibbering nonsense but <laughs> no I, I think it definitely is um i think the other thing about coordination is that when when you do anything like like a comping exercise or whatever you it, well, by you i mean i or yeah, one yeah. you 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 gain a you gain an understanding of how the phrase that you're playing relates to the to, to the, the meter and to the, the pulse and to the yeah, beat and yeah, yeah. And um, I I can't really imagine thinking about time and about playing, like, to a click track or like to playing a rhythm with another rhythm without now thinking about those rhythmic re relationships. Um, again, what you said in one of the podcasts about interdependence, or you don't think of things yeah, being right. independent. Maybe I I agree with. Yeah. I always think that I always try and visualize from playing multiple rhythms how one thing fits with the other and often we'll picture those rhythms in my mind, particularly when learning them and internalizing yeah, them. Yeah. Um and so there's like for me, and it might just be the way my, my brain works, I I'm not sure how else I would really learn how to make things work in, in the context of time and, and meter without thinking about how to coordinate both of those yeah, things. Yeah. Um yeah. it would be a much more of a kind of 
floating, floating, non-grievous <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that's yeah, brilliant, um, yeah. but sometimes that's you know, yeah. um, and it's yeah, it's still, it's always, it's all, you know, it's always challenging. It's not like a, not like a get get those things right all the time. I definitely don't. You know, I'm still trying to get them right a higher percentage of yeah, the time. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as well. The the thing of uh, the the other thing about coordination, which I've always talked about when I've been teaching, but um, sometimes forget myself, is about coordinating the sound that you're making within that same system. You know, you know, because you you kind of remember, oh, it should yeah. it should still sound like me, or it should still sound like I want it to sound, even though I'm playing something that's quite complicated to do. But it's you know whether whether you had systems in place to make sure that you're you know you're aware of that or it's just something that you do anyway. It's like inherent in what you do. I think um, I've got I've got better at that. Um, going back to what I was saying about how Evelyn plays something really musically or whatever. Um, um, you know, with within playing with the group, um, whenever somebody's playing something um, or we're approaching a new piece of music, there will be points where, where you'd realise that you're, you're absolutely twatting this rhythm out because it's like taking up 99% of your CPU <laughs> power. And a, a, lot of the, a lot of the work to play the music and to play the things I'm trying to play is about not just being able to play it, but to have the headroom to, to develop it, like to play it to... To balance yeah, the sounds, yeah. to to play expressively with whatever that the top line is, yeah, and yeah. to um, and, <laughs> and to also be able to you know phrase or to think think about what other people are playing, and um, so like a huge amount of the work with both learning that music and with the instrument is is building the headroom. And when whenever I've done teaching, um, it's something I always try to say to people if they like somebody asked me for a lesson recently on zoom and um they wanted to do some stuff with with odd groupings um and i sort of gave them a sheet of rhythms and i said like the, the main thing you want to do with these in my opinion um is to is to internalize them all and not just be able to play the rhythm but like to be able to to play it across any tempo and to be able to think about other things while you're doing it to be able to 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 sing sing the meter to be able to then um, orchestrate this somehow and and sing the meter and because otherwise it's just going to be binary thing of off and on and that's one of the biggest challenges that I had at the start was how to not just have these yeah. binary things that were either there or not um because that's when they sound like to me that's when I think sound, think I sound shit is when it's like oh this thing's happening and then it's not happening it just sounds like kind of prepared material which is not particularly musical and is you know if you're going to play a lot of things at the same time hopefully if you hit solo on each one of them they should sound as good as if they were on 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 their own and that was the only thing you were playing yeah. and i had a really great lesson when i was at uni um there's a, a scottish jazz drummer a really brilliant drummer Alan called Cosby, Alan yeah, Cosker, yeah, i was gonna ask if you knew and, Alan. Um, yeah he's mega yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's he's an yeah. amazing drummer and such he's a lovely guy, guy. Yeah. and yeah. i was quite I was quite young and uh quite impressionable and i had this lesson with him 
And he's like, oh, what do you want to learn? And I was like, I want to learn about metric modulation and up-tempo bebop. And, <laughs> and he was like, cool, so do you want to just, like, play yeah. something for me and yeah, then we'll yeah. take it from there? And then I played, and, like, in the, like, nicest possible way, he was like, cool. So um, the sound that you're making on the drum kit... And the time could be improved a bit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, but he like he was like super sure. nice about it, and he was like, you know, and that's just me in my opinion, but like, I like wish I'd had that lesson like ten years earlier, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a lesson that's still in my head. Like if I give a lesson, and when I approach thinking about yeah. stuff, um, is like, is like the time and sound and like connecting with what you're doing and. Um, it was like it was like super humbling. I like, I thought I was doing quite well at the time, you know, going into that lesson when I came out I was like, Oh God, where where do I start? Um but it was like it was literally like the best lesson I could have ever yeah. had and that's also taught me that like you know obviously saying something in a polite way, but sometimes being honest, even if you, you know that the reaction isn't gonna be that was that was the best thing that anyone's ever said to me is actually the best thing you can do. Yeah, and, yeah. um, you know, if it wasn't for that lesson, like when, when was I going to start thinking about how I sounded? It's just other people that were thinking about that. Um, and so, yeah, like that, that kind of sticks in my head whenever I think about doing stuff and whenever, mm -hmm. uh, whenever I hear him play, just like he always makes stuff sound so great, both like the clarity of whatever he's playing and yeah. the time. It's just like yeah. beautiful. It's so great. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like really, really grateful for that lesson. And what was also really nice was then I had another lesson with him a couple of years later and uh, I still had loads of work to do. I mean, I still got loads of work to do, but he was like, wow, you've really, you know, like you've really improved on those things since last time. And like, it was kind right. of all worth it yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, <laughs> you know, it's great. It's great that you listened. You know, and being being able to listen, you know, having that kind of the humbling thing of taking on, because people, you know, generally the thing with advice um, is that people generally give you advice because they're trying to help you, aren't they? You know, and it's uh, it's hard doing what you're doing it because we we look, you know, it's personal to us, isn't it? What we do, and it's uh, we take it you know, seriously, and, you know, also we have joy with it, but if somebody says something about it, the, it sort of hurts a bit, it could be. <laughs> it definitely can be, um, like, yeah, but um, I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, it's important to to be yeah. honest, like, um I mean, I it, in in all work walks of life, really. Um, apart from like probably the occasional time when like keeping your mouth shut is good, but um, yeah. it's like there's there's a a good it was a good lesson there and like what the best yeah well kind of what I already said that the best thing to um or that that sometimes something that's difficult to say and doesn't promote the best reaction mm. straight away is actually the best thing to say if someone's sensible about it. And they have paid you for your time, um, yeah. and your expertise is to give them that. Is to give them, give them your honest thoughts, and you know, not be nasty about it, or whatever. But um, to give them what what they're paying you for, which is your your opinion yeah, and yeah. and uh, your yeah. honesty. Well, at least the thing, yeah, the thing you know. Then at least you go and see somebody that actually gives a shit about what they're going to say to you. You know, if someone's oh yeah, it sounds great. You know, you're like, mm, well. 
I don't think it sounds great. That's why I'm here. So this is a bit of a shame. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you know, come on, you know, what do you really think? And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot in that, in in all, like you say, in all in all parts of life, when you know when people aren't bullshitting you and they, you know, they're kind of uh, speaking from the heart. You know, it's uh, yeah, more of it. That's what we need more of it in the world. You know, especially in the world of. Especially in the totally. world of politics, but anyway, that's, don't get onto that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we can we can definitely definitely chat about that if we if we ever get yeah a, a yeah that's for another time yeah yeah. But um, I mean, I don't want to keep you for too much long, and I really appreciate you doing this. It's been brilliant to chat to chat to you, and uh, yeah, it's probably quite a long one, which is great, you know. Um, but the <laughs> the one thing uh, it's like a well, the last thing that I wrote down, and it was. Just an interesting thing for anybody that's out there um, who's listening to this, or I think one or two listeners that I have, um, who yes. maybe, you know, they've listened to some of um, the the project, your trio project. Uh, maybe you can maybe point them to an album or something particularly you'd like maybe to check out that would be good. Just if they were really inspired by that music, but they were definitely new to that approach to playing time signatures and polyrhythms and stuff, but they were really like, wow, this is like so exciting. Like the question would be, what would be a great place to start learning that approach? I know it's like, it's a massive question, but it would be, if you were teaching somebody mm-hmm. for the first time and like, say, so, you know, what would be, because uh, there'd be things I'd talk about, but I, I'm really interested in what, you know, what your, where would you say, would you just be with like the stuff you were talking about, the Zoom lesson, you'd send people just stuff about working on thinking about rhythms that they already maybe know, but in different groupings to get used to different kind of, you know, um, ways of thinking about pulses that they're already familiar with, or would it be a different kind of approach? Well, I think, uh, one, I would try and tell them a bunch of things to listen to, right. some of which they might not necessarily understand straight away, but would give them an idea of the possibilities of right. what, how it can be used. Yeah, um, like context, so, basically. So yeah, yeah, I mean, like, so there's some classics. Um, footprints, for example, would be a good starting yeah, point because true, you can actually. you can yeah. really hear when things change and don't change. It's very yeah. easy to hear the, the meter. Um, but then, like, I would then maybe point them in, in the direction of, um, I really love that Melda Rossi trio version of Anthropology, where they where they go in on the like um, groups of three and quarter notes, and then then dot quarter notes, and then uh, it comes back out, and then Brad does these great counterpoint um, dotted things. Um, you know that that whole piece is would be a great like this is what's possible with dotted rhythms for example um yeah and with improvisation in an ensemble or um you know some some of ari's stuff uh for example i love tigran's piano solo in um uh, what's the name of the tune it's not arrows and loops it's um it's one that's an 11 i need to check it out um let me let me just look it up if that's okay yeah, so i don't i don't want to miss it out because it's such a great tune um, and Vigi Iyer's version of Human Nature, which is um a sort of five five three thing, I think, 
is uh is a nice sort of like oh well here's a tune that sort of sounds like it's in four but but isn't and it's like beautifully played it's yeah, got marcus yeah. on drums i think and then for other stuff i you know, definitely give them some of those cheats or whatever but i think that gavin harrison's book is a great starting point because it really goes into a lot of detail and you can see visually what's happening there's a you know there's a cd where you can hear stuff i think the a and b status thing is a really important thing to understand straight away that whenever you do anything which displaces a rhythm or or makes it modulate or sound like it's modulated that and you know there's two ways of hearing it and that's both sort of gives you the the effect of it and you understand that but you also understand why why you're finding it hard maybe for, at first to to hear what's going on because it's tricking your brain and so it's sort of nice to start out from that point of understanding for me anyway how it's working and i think for you know if someone was quite into swing and stuff and already had a bunch of stuff together ari's books are very good yeah i've got understand explain yeah, yeah, explaining yeah. how those things can go across a form and mm. and i think it's quite important even if someone's at a very basic level to like again this is just my opinion um to show them some of the possibilities, both some simple ones like, oh, here's, you know, in 4-4 you could play groups of three sixteens four times and then play anything else which lasts for four quarter notes and you've created a phrase which, you know, yeah. has a little bit of um, rhythmic tension which then resolves. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds cool. Great, there you go. Go away and do that. Or, yeah. um, but but then also to say, like, you know, these there are people and, like, here's a Meshuggah tune where there's groups of three going on um, in the guitar and with the feet and the hands are, are playing two and four and and here's a here's like a uh, yeah a, a version of a Michael Jackson tune which um, sounds like it's in a wonky four four and here's how an ensemble are using that information together um, I think it's good to to give some kind of context to how different people are using it um, and and actually communicating with it together actually because otherwise mm. it, it, it maybe could be a little academic. Um, and that, you know, I guess while you need to know some maths and stuff, um, that, that the goal, sorry, I'm, I'm talking and scrolling to find the name of this tune. Yeah, you're doing like an um, amazing job. I'm so impressed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, is, it is Arrows and Loops, I think. It rings a bell to me. I don't know that music very well, but that, yeah. that one particularly, that, that rings a bell. Yeah, I thought that was maybe what you... It's, I think it's an 11, like 3, 2, 2, 2. Yeah. And the piano solo in that um, starts off with that rhythm and, and Tigran plays these kind of stride things, which I think are in fives over the top of it. And there's all these different bits of language. And, he, and he's great because he's it's, it's not binary. You know, he's really playful for it, but the meter's never lost. Yeah. And the piano's in on its own to begin with. Yeah. And then the drums, drums are in and things are quite supportive. And then the drums start going with the piano and... It's like a to me that's like a masterclass in in how this language can be used. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and obviously Tigran's own music's amazing. Um, for sure. I transcribed transcribed one of his beatboxing uh, solos for one of my drum interpretations, and the amazing language in in that tiny moment of improvisation for him that you know took me ages to dissect just a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably what I would say is show them some simple stuff introduce them to some materials um but also show them where it's been used by different people um, yeah yeah and what the possibilities are to see if any of it interests them because for me the thing that drives me to learn stuff is is generally the possibilities of of where it's going to go with it i mean like the whole reason i probably play the drum kit is because 
I think that one day I might be able to do some stuff which is interesting and make some music which is is closer to the music I really like listening to. Um, it's not quite a lot of it's not about the present, although playing a concert and enjoying playing with people and people enjoying it, you know, is is really fulfilling. Um, mm. Once that's kind of happened, you've got to keep trying to move onwards and improve. It's kind of constant. Sometimes it's frustrating, but yeah. it, it is kind of about the the carrot that you're never going to quite get to in some ways. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That bit. Yeah, I think recording as well and being proud of, of moments, datum points, being able to sort of like get a quintessential version of something of where your head is at the time, not spend too long on creating it, because it becomes mm. like Eric Harlan says. Uh, I think it's maybe not on the uh, the um, the drum gab interview. He says this great line, which I use all the time now. When you, when you know when people people practice things that they can already play, and he says, "Why would you want to do that?" It's like it's like you're beating it into the ground, you know. And it's that same thing of of like when you're trying to record something that you're really proud of. You don't want to beat it into the ground. You want to just be able to finish it almost as when you love it at its most and then just like release it. But you still want to be proud of it, don't you? You know, so you've kind of got that kind of... Um, and it's as a gigging musician, because I spent years recording nothing and I don't have anything to show anybody for all those years of playing. There's no... It doesn't exist. It exists in what, I mean, my opinion of what it was and the people that I played it with, you know, my opinion of it was pretty low, you know, so... It doesn't even sound great, you know. But there's nothing to show for for years and years of playing. So re recording more things became important to me for sure. So it's uh... I th yeah. I think a couple of things to say on that. Um, one is that the mentality of something being a of a snapshot at a point in time, or or your your art, your music musicianship being a work in progress, is something for me that uh, has really taken. A bit of the pressure off um there's still quite a lot of pressure there but you know like um to suddenly sort of accept that i'm probably never going to get there and that i just got to keep chipping away yeah. at it, keep getting in the getting in the practice room and get getting in the concert halls or whatever and 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 doing the work and and refining it sort of whilst in some ways it makes it all seem kind of futile in other ways it's quite quite up, uplifting you know absolutely yeah yeah um, yeah it's so funny that <laughs> and it, and the other thing you were saying about recording stuff is you know i've been recording myself a lot recently and it's it's hard work sometimes to oh, yeah. um to you know to be satisfied with anything when you're recording especially under close mics and especially i've been doing loads of stuff with the grid where you you know i'm zooming in and, and i'm making decisions I, I i haven't even decided whether i like it or not yet like I've spent a lot of time thinking about phrasing things so maybe a bass drum was slightly in front and a snare drum was slightly behind so the bar does this and that works in some stuff yeah. and now I'm thinking but but sometimes everything needs to be totally on the grid and now I'm recording and trying to do that and I'm thinking you know with a waveform you can really go in and so yeah. how many milliseconds is enough and do I even want to sound like that you know and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, and yeah. that that work is harrowing. Like I've been doing like an hour and a half a day yeah. of just recording, just recording to clicks at different tempos, and really zooming in that stuff, and then trying to change things and phrase things. And I don't even know where that's gonna go. But um, yeah, recording yourself is hard. But when you mentioned about you know wanting to document things, I think 
I've realised that how I view music in my life has changed a lot over the last ten years. And when I was young, it was, it was everything, and it defined who I was. And and you know, I, it was the one thing that I was kind of all right at. And yeah, and, yeah. And now, um, it, you know, it's at least as important as that to me. But it's not my whole life, and um, other things are also important. And even if I do think something sounds shit. I'm playing with people who might not always be be around, and um, and we're doing something together, and and there is something about it beyond beyond just the notes and where they sit in time, and that's like the the cultural thing and the hang that we talked about at the very start of this. Like, um, it is it is nice to document that stuff, even if you feel you can can always do it better. It's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, people, you know, you've got to appreciate. Uh, the people that you're playing with for as long as they're going to share that space with you you know whether it's you know they move on to other things mm. or they're no longer with us you know it's a profound it's a profound thing yeah yeah so um mega thanks so much man that's sweet no worries uh sorry for rabbiting on for oh, probably great. Like, must be about two hours yeah it's brilliant i've no i've really loved it really enjoyed it. it's been so interesting um, I've no idea when I'll start the edit from, or when I'll, or when I'll stop it. But <laughs> there'll be, you know, it'll naturally meander into its own thing as it, as it always does. go um that was a real treat for me um talks about some really interesting stuff and uh, such a great talent rich someone to really look out for in the next you know just the next 10 15 years i'd really uh, keep my eyes on uh, how he's going to develop the instrument um because i don't i don't think there are a lot of people uh, around who really kind of focused on that the the kind of evolution of the instrument as well as the evolution of rhythm you know and i think as you can hear from what we were talking about um over the last hour or so um you know rich is really thinking about the development of the drum kit because it, it is a very young instrument um and obviously rhythm um, isn't young, it's been around forever. Uh, but the understanding of it, both culturally and individually, is definitely evolving at a rate of knots um, in improvised or contemporary jazz. So, you know, there's that thing about the kind of classical tradition, rhythm's been, you know, sophisticated for a long, long time within classical composition in the written note, but it's that thing of using that information in the moment and improvising with the information and understanding it to a deep level. And um, I don't think there are a lot of players around, especially UK drummers personally, I don't think there are a lot of players that are, um, that are exploring that area. So um, definitely check out um, some of his stuff and, uh, yeah, keep an eye on him. So thanks for listening. Um, I'll be back again next week. 
Um, hopefully got another couple of interviews coming up over the next few weeks. Um, I've been a bit more organised during this lockdown period. I've got a few more done, but just been uh, strangely a busy old time. So, um, yeah, take care, keep safe, and bye for now. <laughs>